So today we are going to talk about one of the favorite things that you guys like and one of the least favorite things that you guys want the church to talk about. And that is what? Money. We're going to talk about money today, and uh, we'll see how far I get. Maybe we talk about it next week as well. But today we're going to talk about money. Now, there's many unique things about money, but um, money is often an indicator of how the world values success or sees success. So if you were to think about success today within the world, what's successful to you? Now look, we can have the cliche answer, and the cliche answer could be, well, success is just living by the Spirit and going to church and loving God and loving people. Right? We could have the cliche answer. But the deeper question is, what does your life say? What do your actions say about what you say success is? See, because some people think that success depends on how much money you make. Some people think that success depends on how many followers you have. Some people think that success depends on the power that you have. So climbing the um, executive ladder at work or becoming a manager or uh, making six or seven figures, right? We see, we see success that way. Yet, really, we don't see success as one of those. We actually understand success by the world standard as a combination of all three, a combination of fortune, fame, and power. So I ask you the question rhetorically today, what in your life do you value? What is success to you? Now again, I want to raise a family, I want to have kids, I want to be able to retire at age 40. You know, like you have, you have all these dreams. What is success? You, you can have these dreams. I, I want to regularly attend church. I want to pray every day. I want to read my Bible every day. What is success to you more than just what you think? What does your life today say that success is? What do you value the most? Because some people can say with their lips that I value, and I believe that success is being in the presence of God, but yet you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, and you don't worship throughout the week, right? So what does your life say? Do you value your time, your energy, your finances? What do all three of those areas say about your life? The way that you spent yesterday, what did that say? You're getting the point. Now, it's also said this, put your money where your mouth is. So that's what I'm asking today. Put your money where your mouth is. Just don't talk about it. It is important for us to be able to honestly answer these questions because these three questions have eternal implications. What do you value? Where do you spend your time? Where do you put your energy? Ask yourself those three questions. So Luke chapter 12, 16 through 21. I want to read this to you. It's a parable. And he told them this. The ground of a certain rich man yielded in an, an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus 
grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Unique parable, isn't it? See, in this parable, this man was so in love with his things that he forgot about how soon he might face God in eternity. Kind of wasteful, like, well, I have this nice barn here, but I'll just tear it down and build another one, and then I'll retire. See, his goal was about his riches. See, this man had a good plan for his life, and he had a good plan for his treasure here on earth. But he severely neglected treasure in heaven. Are we making decisions today that are decisions about our heavenly treasure or simply our earthly treasure? See, in today's scripture, in Matthew, it's going to tell us that there's only two treasures that we can have. That's it. There's worldly treasure and there's heavenly treasure. And ev everything that we do stores up for one of those. Every decision we make, it's either eternal treasure or earthly treasure. Which one sounds better to you? Heavenly treasure. Because heavenly treasure lasts for eternity. Now, considering today's message, we must remember the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So Jesus has already shared with them what characteristics of a true believer really is. Poor in spirit, mournful, meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure in the spirit or pure in heart. They're peacemakers, right? So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is addressing the people on the mountain who have perverted the law so that they can live in self-righteous ways. They came up with their own loopholes, and at the end of the day, they were more concerned with what man thought rather than what God thought. So in today's scripture, Jesus is going to address the matter of one's heart once again. But this time, it's towards money and treasure. This scripture is going to address our heart towards money. Don't you hate when the church talks about money? It's horrible. We don't like to give up our money. We like to hoard our money. Nevertheless, um, one study reveals the 16 of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possession. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deals with biblical stewardship. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money. And there are over uh, more than 2,000 scriptures on tithing in the Bible, money, and possessions, which is twice as many as faith 
and prayer combined. So money's important. Why would Jesus talk so much about money if it wasn't important? Now, does God need money? Nope. Does Jesus need money? Nope. But there's something about us as humans that puts our faith in money more than we put our faith in God. Amen? So um, many verses in the Bible talk about money, and for a good reason, too. Bible verses about money are frequently used because there's a direct correlation between the way we handle our money and our faith. There is a direct correlation between the way we handle our money and our faith. So when it comes to money, we either worship wealth, uh, we, yeah, we either worship our wealth or we worship with our wealth. Amen? You see the difference? We either worship our retirement or we worship with our wealth. We give it to people. We're generous with it. It's not our God. We're not building new barns so that we can be at peace um, five more years and not have to do anything. Now you're like, well, what about retirement? That's not what the scripture is teaching us today, so we're not going to be there. Nevertheless, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to read 19 through 24, but first we're just going to read 19 and 20. So, here it is. Do not lay up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus makes it pretty plain right here. Do not lay up yourself treasures on earth. Pretty simple, right? Because the treasures that you lay up on earth, he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Really simple to understand, I believe. Now, back in that culture, many would have had their treasures, and I guess even today we have our treasures, in clothes, food, and jewelry houses, um, you know, things like that. But the unique thing is clothes was huge back in ancient culture. And maybe even today clothes are important. But um, we just want to highlight what clothes might have meant. So if you store up your wealth in clothes, moths and other insects will eventually destroy them, right? Now, the ideal clothing back in the day, they were made of wool, but certain moths love wool. So what would end up happening? Their clothing would be destroyed. Now, how would they be destroyed? They would lay their eggs on them, and the larvae would uh, chew their way through the clothes, through the material, and then if it wasn't the larvae that got it, it would just be the eggs that would be rotting on the clothes. So what Jesus is saying is, look, you who value your clothes so much and buying all these fancy materials and putting your hope in clothes with all these extra resources, guess what? They're going to be destroyed. So we should be rhetorically thinking right now of some materialistic things that we put our hope in that one day we will not take with us to heaven. 
See, the next thing is uh, Jesus addressed, well, if you put your wealth in food, you know what's unique is when you look at your budgets each year and you say, man, I spent this much of money on food, so we put, I'm carrying my wealth right now, <laughs> right? How wealthy is he? I'm carrying it. You see it. Nevertheless, um, if they store their wealth in food, pests or mold would come and eventually eat them or um, take them. And uh, what's also unique about that is the word rust here literally means eaten away. So if you put your trust in gold or silver or other metals, they would eventually be oxidized to valueless rust. And you're like, well, what about my rings and what about my gold? What about these precious metals? Well, thieves will come to steal them here on earth. So Jesus is saying everything that he sees man going after here on earth is valueless. Why are you putting your faith or why are you spending so much time working overtime to get a bigger house? Or why are you spending all your time trying to get this bigger car, or nicer car, or nicer clothes? Why are you doing any of this? It, it has only earthly value, which at that, it's very little. So what Jesus is getting at here is pretty easy to understand. All things of life will perish. The newest iPhone will perish. Your Samsung Android already perished. <laughs> I mean, it's already twitching over there. So, what's wrong with my Android? Nevertheless, what Jesus is helping us understand is all things are perishing. And we must be careful right now to assume that we are not vain ourselves. Say, Joey, you're talking to someone else today. I'm, I'm good with my money. I'm generous with my money. I don't care about things. We have to be careful that that's not what our thought is today. Now, in an older study about the church, one, research, uh, one researcher suggests, listen to this, that professed followers of Christ take in 68% of the world's income. Older study. Yet, only 3% of that goes to the church, and a teeny percentage goes to world's missions. So at the time of this study, 68% of the world's wealth was in the hands of professing believers, yet only 3% of that went to the church, and a little bit went to world's mission. So if we ask the church to put their money where their mouth was, it's not about just giving to the church, right? But what about endorsing world's, world mission? Why is that number only 3%? Because what this study was implying, of course, is that even believers or born-again believers don't really have the faith that they put on on the outside. They don't really trust God enough with their resources. Now, Am I the prosperity preacher that believes if you give 10, God's going to give you 100? No. What I would say is uh, any kind of prosperity preacher that I would be, I'd say this. The more that you chase after eternal treasures, the more that you're going to receive one day. 
the joy that comes your way that you get to help another brother or sister. For example, would you rather buy another $5,000 car or would you rather invest into um, a $5,000 into a missionary? See, there's this idea that we have $5,000 for a new car, and that's just a small number, right? We have $5,000 for a new car, but we don't have $5,000 for a missionary. So what, what we actually end up having for the missionary is $35 or $1,000 a year. Where is your treasure, the assets around you, the things that you have? Uh, we're going to actually get to that, so I'm jumping a little, little ahead. But the things that you have reveal to you your heart's pleasure. So gold and silver, clothes and gold. Yeah, gold and silver, clothes and food, they're all pointless. But yet, as humans, we're hoarding those things. Now, am I saying that you need to live a pious life? That um, you have nothing? No, I'm saying you should live um, in obedience to what God has called you to. Nevertheless, um, yeah. So the church does have a problem with where they are storing their treasures. Now, is giving the only way you can store your treasure, giving to the church the only way you can store treasure? No, certainly not. But many of us have settled for happiness and put our hope in the collection of things, fame, and power here on earth. And what Jesus is saying, that's an earthly treasure. And many of us have problem, problems with having hope in our earthly treasures rather than simply um, having hope for eternal treasures, right? Nevertheless, what we see here, or what we need to recognize, is we were created to be fully satisfied in Christ, not things. Amen? What were you created for? To be fully satisfied in God. To have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why we exist so we have to know that, and Solomon shares with us some wise words. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in, human, in the human heart. So what does this mean? What's Solomon trying to share with us? It means that our hearts were made to find complete satisfaction in Christ and heavenly treasures. That's what Solomon's telling us. And by the heart, the Bible is referencing our inner being, our mind, our will, our understanding, our appetites, our emotions, and our passions. What Solomon is saying, you can only be satisfied in Christ alone. That's it. So, on the contrary, he's saying, everything else on this earth is vanity. So why is it that then if everything else on this earth is vanity, why do we chase after some of these things? Why do we put so much hope in these things? Am I saying you can't buy a 575 coffee? I'm not saying that. Am I saying you can't repaint your house? I'm not saying that either. What I am saying is we were created to be fully satisfied in Christ, in Christ alone. And Peter reiterates this. In 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ 
also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. See, God's intentions were not just to forgive our sins. Rather, it was to forgive our sins so that we can be brought to God. So that we can be satisfied in a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the number one goal. So without Jesus, there is no way that the thing that God wanted to set our hearts on, eternity with him, could ever be fulfilled. Because at the core of every person, the deepest longing that our spirit has is to be connected to God himself. The deepest at the core of all of our spirits, but yet we search in clothes, we search in food, we search in retirement, we search in power, we search in promotions. We try to be satisfied in all of these things on earth. I was going to say we search in watching NFL football, but I'm a Lions fan, so I gave that up. <laughs> we search in recreation. What, what we need to understand and what Jesus is getting at here is there's a deep connection that he longs to have with you and I. And that we can be so distracted by the pressures of the world. We can be so distracted by the treasures of what people say we're supposed to have that we miss out on the thing that we are created for. And what Jesus continues to tell us is um, the hard reality is what we treasure will reveal our heart. What we treasure will reveal our heart. So, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Plain and simple. Very clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus gives us a method to evaluate our heart's treasure. You and I get to discover today, this morning, what our heart treasures. Jesus helps us understand how. So I ask you this question, or many questions. What do you pursue most in your life? What do you think about most in your life? And you say, well, Joey, you're pointing a finger at me. I'm not pointing a finger at anyone other than myself. What I have to do when I study these scriptures and uh, even preach them, what I realize is this, is scripture points a big finger at me. And I understand my depravity. And when I understand my depravity and I understand how far I fall short, then I can remember that Jesus died for me. Amen. And because Jesus died for me, what I can say is, Jesus, I no longer want this anymore. Amen. I don't want to spend my time this way. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to be stuck on focusing on this. I don't want to waste another moment doing my will, but I want to serve yours. So when we're confronted with our depravity, our shortcomings, what we have to do is then say, God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from those sins, and I'm going to turn to you. So as I ask these questions, and you're confronted with maybe some realities that you're living into right now in your life, there's not a finger being pointed at you. 
it's, it's, it's the scriptures, it's questions that are revealing to you to say, God, I need you more. So I ask you, what do you pursue most in your life? Things for yourself or helping your neighbor? Retirement or helping the person next to you? Reading scripture or watching TV? Praying or complaining? Sharing the gospel or keeping peace? Politics or fellowship? Climbing the executive ladder or serving in ministries at the church? I don't have time to serve at the church because I got all this extra stuff I have to do. What does your life right now say that you are pursuing? Because where your heart is, your treasure will be also. So for example, if of these questions, all I'm doing is trying to help myself out, pursuing my retirement, watching TV, complaining, keeping peace with people, only looking to politics, and climbing the executive ladder, what treasures do I have in heaven? What are my treasures about? My treasures are only about myself and my kingdom. And if we're honest with ourselves today, many of us, if not all of us, are dealing with one of these areas where we have put our treasure and our hope in that thing more than we have God. So Jesus is helping us understand where our treasure is and where our heart is. What Jesus is helping us see is a simple way to assess what we value. Now, I also want to ask you this question, and I understand money is hard to talk about. The real theme of what today's scripture is, is money. But um, an easy way to assess what you value is to look at your bank statements and your schedule. Wouldn't that be horrible just to, if hypothetically, we just put everyone's bank statement up here, like at the end of the year, you send it in, and then you put your schedule up here on the wall. It's like, oh, Barb Keller, huh? That is three times in one day she went to Tim Hortons. <laughs> three days. Three times in one day, and we know that there was a panhandler sitting out there. And based upon her schedule, she was already late to a meeting because she needed the Tim Hortons. She never stopped to see the panhandler. If you revealed to another brother or sister your bank account and your schedule, what do you treasure? That's hard to think about, isn't it? What do you treasure? Now, it doesn't mean you're like, well, I, I work 40 to 60 hours a week. Okay, fine, but while you're working, great. Like, we, we have to work. I understand. I'm not saying just sit at home and be a monk. I'm not saying that. But while you're at work, who are you representing? Within that schedule of your work, did, did you identify with Christ? Not just by the way that you worked hard and you were disciplined, but did you bring up his name? The hard thing is, is for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you spend your money on? Do you tithe? 
Do you give uh, regularly to those in need by alms or blessings? Do you ask God more about your retirement or his mission with the resources that he has given you? Are you planning your retirement or are you asking him about his mission with the resources that he's given you? Because what does scripture tell us? He gives and he what? Takes away. Where is your treasure? Where do you spend your time? Church, small group, making disciples, praying, reading, evangelizing, worshiping? Or are you too busy adding something to your earthly treasure? Um, what I recognize is we can be busy with sports, we can be busy with extracurriculars, we can be busy with um, working overtime, we can be busy with so many other things that will not add any value to our eternity. Now, while we're participating in sports or working overtime, if we bring Jesus with us, that's great. But again, if you had to share your bank statements and schedules with everyone here, would it come back to building treasures on earth or building treasures in heaven? See, our bank statements and schedule, schedules easily let us know what our heart value is. It's easy. That's a simple way to discover it. Amen? So how many of you guys are thinking about your schedules and your, your money right now? Like, I'm new here, I'm not coming back. And you're like, I'm a regular attender. I'm transferring my membership. The location of your treasure reveals your heart. So I rhetorically ask you, based upon your bank account and schedule, are you pursuing earthly dividends or heavenly dividends? I want to read to you this poem that as I was studying that I came across. Um... 20,000 for my brand new car, 60,000 for a piece of sod. 100,000 I paid to begin a house, $10 I gave to God. A tidy sum to entertain my friends in pointless chatter. And when the world goes crazy mad, I ask, Lord, what's the matter? $10 I gave to God, yet there's one big question. For the answer, I still search. With things so bad in this old world, what's holding back my church? Really interesting poem to think about. 100,000 for a house, 60,000 for the property, 20,000 for the new car, 10,000 or, um, yeah, and then $10 to God. The church is supposed to be the most generous Generous population there is. See, in the book of Acts, what did they do? They sold everything that they had to meet the needs of people. Yet, statistically speaking, what we see is the church gives under 3% of their finances. Interesting, isn't it? So what's holding back my church? It's not the money that's holding back the church. It's the heart of the church. Amen? In, in, this, in this poem here, the treasure was for that person's kingdom and not God's. Money, money doesn't necessarily, um, money doesn't ever further the kingdom. Now, within the world, you have to pay for things. 
But when you have a generous church, it talks about the way that they worship. It talks about the way that they might be living a repentant heart. It talks about how, how, how they're trusting God more than trusting their own money. So what Jesus does is he proceeds in today's scripture to deal with the deceitfulness in our heart. So verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Again, Jesus is making it pretty plain for us throughout this whole um, teaching today. The things that you focus on your life will lead your whole body. You've heard it said, the blind can't lead the blind. The things that you focus on will lead your life. If your eye, the things that you're seeking after, the things that you are pursuing, if your eye is focused on heavenly things, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what Jesus is trying to share with them is, if, look, you're just trying to build a bigger barn, if you're just trying to have a nicer house, if you're just trying to have faster cars, nicer cars, if you're just trying to climb the executive ladder, and you're focused on these dark things, your whole body's going to be dark. But if you're focused on heavenly things, God, how can I bless someone today? How can I help meet the needs of a brother or sister today? How can I share your gospel today? Those are the things he wants us to focus on. See, in Jewish culture, a bad eye, or also known as an evil eye, was this. It meant that someone was envious, covetous man, um, a man who is jealous of his neighbor's prosperity, who loves his own money, and doesn't prioritize charity for the kingdom of God. It's one who might give, but much like the Pharisees, for show or obligation. What we recognized here at the church is um, there was just this awkwardness of passing the plate each week. We used to have these plates that we would pass and tithe and offering. And kid you not, when we passed the plate, tithing and offering was higher. Why? Because you're embarrassed not to put something in the plate. So people would grab the 20 that they really wanted, and because there was this peer pressure, not because they've already agreed with God and met with God over it, they'd say, well, here's my 20. Here's my 50. What we said is worshipers are going to find ways to worship God. Tithers are going to find ways to tithe God. Because tithing is between them and God. It's not my job to say, give 200 bucks, give 300 bucks. Not my job. Tithing and worship is between you and him. So we, we quit. And from a um, organizational business standpoint, right, there's still a business aspect to church because we have to keep lights on, right? Um, we have the blessing and opportunity to pay staff here. We have to repair things. We have to keep things up to date. We'd like to redo this carpet, but we quit passing the plate. Come on, somebody. Lighten up. 
You're like, oh, just later you're going to get those plates out and you're going to pass them after guiltless into this message, aren't you? I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to help you understand where your treasures are. So we quit passing the plate because we trust God. We trust that God's going to convict you, and we, and, we, and we believe that as we teach scriptures and you're focused on heavenly things, that you're going to meet with God and you're going to talk to God, and worshipers are going to worship. Nevertheless, if your eye is focused on things of this earth, your whole body will be dark. How great the darkness. When Jesus says, how great is the darkness, he's helping them understand that there is not a chance of any good to come out of them because they're looking for their worldly gains only. So we must be careful that we do not claim to see spiritual things but in reality have a heart that is far from God. This is a deception that results in greater darkness. We must be careful not to give out of obligation or a show. Not compulsively giving, Scripture says. We must agree to give God out of our first fruits, not what we have left over, And what Jesus continues to say is we cannot separate the material things from the spiritual things of life. That's what we often do, isn't it? We separate material and spiritual. We don't see them as one. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. That's what the scripture's telling us. You cannot serve them both. So the entirety of today's scripture is about money. It's not uncommon for most believers to arbitrarily separate the things of life with their material um, yeah, the, th the things of their spiritual life with the things of their material life. We like to do that, don't we? What I mean by that is um, God has his box that he's entitled to, and you have your box that you're entitled to. But what I'm here to tell you is spiritual and material can't be separated. They come together. It's that, um, it's that action that displays giving your tithe to the church so you get to do whatever you want with the rest, right? That's what happens, is, is, is that's how we separate it. We say, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give my $20 to the church this week. I'm gonna give my $10 to the church this week. I'm gonna give my $100 to the church this week. Now, here's what I wanna say. The tithing amount is irrelevant to me. I think it's between you and God, but it's about the heart. See, there's a woman in scripture who gives what? Very little, and what does God say? I love, I love what you've given. Bless this woman. She understands it. Two pennies, right? And then there's other people who give thousands of dollars, but they give out of obligation or they give out of tax write-off. There's a lot of people that give to the church so that they can uh, write off their taxes. Who's that for? Is that for you or is that for God's kingdom? So I'm not talking, so when I say $10 or I say 
$10,000, number one, you can't outgive God. And number two, to God, it doesn't matter about how much you give. What, what matters is your heart. Nevertheless, what ends up happening is what God, what, what we end up doing is we separate the spiritual from the material. So we give our 5, 5%, 3%, 1%, 20%. And then we say, since I've given that, now I can separate the material and say, since I've given my 20% to the church, now what I get to do is spend the 80% on everything else that I want to do in life. So then when there's a missionary that comes to the church or they need funded or there's other needs within the community, we just bypass them and we say, I get to spend this money on myself. So what car can I buy? What bigger house can I buy? When in reality, what God is saying is everything is his. You can't separate the two. Every bit of my money is his. So essentially, our perspective shouldn't be that I get to give God 3%, 2%, 1%, 20% at church on Sunday and then be done with it. Our perspective should be this. 100% of my money is his. And everything that I do should be in honor of him. So then what happens is when you say, God, can I buy a coffee this week? And he says, yes. Then you're expecting that there's probably going to be a divine appointment there. Or he just wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? And if it's Starbucks, it's disgusting. <laughs> so don't go there. I mean, the only good drinks that they have is just full of sugar. Now, as we're a participating church, right, and what I mean by that is, is, is we're vulnerable, we help one another, we pray for one another, we engage one another, and we act like and we understand that we're not perfect. But how many of you guys have ever been caught up in the idea that the spiritual and the material are separated? Because I have. Anyone? Participating, practicing vulnerability. Thank you. I've, I've thought, okay, well, I can go out and buy this movie or I can buy this car because I've given to God. When in reality, when we have that mindset, what ends up happening is we forget about being generous Monday through Saturday. See, God wants us to be generous every day, even outside of this building. It's not about just when we have a grill or a youth fundraiser. Being generous is something that God wants to possess our life and not hold on to our money. What did the uh, Lord's Prayer teach us? God, give us everything that we need today to serve you and to serve others. Likewise, with our finances, what God is saying, trust me, with the finances. Now, I know some people are thinking, well, what about a good steward being able to bless his children, according to Scripture? We're still not there today, and, and um, we are thinking about actually offering a finance class here at the church to discuss some of those things. So, um, oh, yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> talking with Jarrett on Friday night, I believe. Yeah, Friday night. And uh, Jarrett, uh, God's been processing some things through him about maybe traveling again and uh, just doing different types of work around the nation. So what was really cool is he said one of his buddies um, in his area, just like, hey, man, I want to give you $10,000 to buy a new van. 
Well, he didn't know that Jarrett was even thinking about buying a new van and wanted a new van. Well, then what ended up happening is um, a woman from a different state got a hold of him and said, hey, I just want to, I want to bless you. I want to send you some money, so just let me know when you get the check. Okay, not a big deal. Well, this woman ended up sending him $20,000. Who in here wants to give away $20,000? Because I think I could ask everyone in here to stand up and give 100 bucks right now, and you all be stressing out. How dare him? So, so what was good about that is as the church is generous, God doesn't need money. God could have poofed a, a van for Jared. But, but what God was, in, in his sanctification, what he was doing through those people was he's saying, are you willing to trust me to give away this amount of money? And uh, Jared's not a 501c3, so there wasn't tax write-offs either. Well, he was, the sanctification that, he was, that God was working in that believer is, will you be willing to trust me with your future by giving this away and understanding that I will provide and meet and surpass every need that you have? But what we do is we hoard these things and we build bigger barns. The other thing that ended up happening is when Jarrett received that money, it also spurred him on to understand and confirm God's mission for him during a future season. So sometimes your generosity and not just looking out for yourself is an answered prayer to propel someone to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we can't separate the material from the spiritual. It's intertwined in every aspect of our life. This means that if you tithe 60% of your money to the church, you are also to obey God with the other 40%. Amen? We cannot serve both God and money. Now, it didn't say you can't serve God and have money. It said you can't serve both God and money. So am I saying that money is bad? By no means. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's an interesting scripture. Um, I personally want to do some more research on that. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. So money has lured people away from having a heart that is sold out for Christ. The love of money has caused people to turn their back on God, right? These people had faith, and now they're lured away from it. So money is not evil, but the love of money. So is being rich sinful? By no means. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, or through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on, uncertain, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. You don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to make it through this church service. You don't know if your 401k is going to be there. And no one believes that in 20 years Social Security will be here. You don't know what's going to happen in six months. 
I was talking in the prayer group, an actuary uh, for life insurance came out and said that over the past year, they've seen a 40% increase in deaths of people 25 to 65. We can make our own conclusions of why that may be, but here's what we know is 40%, there's a 40% increase in deaths between 20, the working age class. And this is life insurance people, and they're like, how are we going to pay for all this? So your premiums are going to go up. You don't know that tomorrow is promised. You don't know what anything about your future holds other than if you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to be with him one day. Amen? And that's the treasure that Jesus wants us to focus on. Why, why do I need to buy five coffees a week when those five coffees could help someone? Or I could invest into a ministry. There's a good ministry to invest in, uh, Seeds of Grace, that Luke's finally um, able to get the building, the buildings, and getting started. So um, there's a great ministry that we can invest in with our time, with our resources, with buying materials, with cleaning. Our kids' ministry here, we can invest in. With our giving, with our resources, with our time. You know, um, Karenina has such a passion to see young kids come to Christ. And we also have an older generation, older, me included in that generation, who's like, I want to see the younger generation come to Christ. And then we complain about the younger generation and we say, this younger generation won't do this and they won't do that. And this is how they're being trained and this is how they're being taught. And then we say, we have an opportunity for you to disciple and invest into that next generation. And what do we say? I don't have time once every six weeks to go serve in kids' ministry. Isn't that unique? We are providing you here at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship an opportunity to pour into the next generation. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know how to teach. Well, the curriculum shows you how to teach. Well, I'm not good at this, or I'm shy. Moses was too. And God provided. So there's opportunities to have heavenly treasures it was said that Billy Graham was saved in Sunday school. Maybe because of the lesson that you teach and Christ at work, we have the next Billy Graham that brings revival. But here's, here's what I will say, is Kara Nina needs a lot of help right now. With COVID and sickness and um, just where we are as a world, a lot of people aren't wanting to volunteer so what I also rhetorically say is, please invest into the next generation and talk to Karen Nina today and say, how can I help you? Once every six weeks. Or it's been said that number six is the devil's number. So how about this? Once every five or seven weeks. Is that better? <laughs> so is money bad? Um, no. So, um, but their hope of uncertain riches, but on God. So, is being rich sinful? By no means. And here's, here's what Timothy tells us. Instruct those who are rich this. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure 
of a good foundation for their future so that they may take hold on that which is life indeed. So if you have money, and statistically speaking, the average person makes $2 a day around the world. So, you know, the numbers are somewhat swayed. So are you rich? Yeah, I think if you're making more than $2 a day, you're rich. So what are the rich people supposed to do? We are to instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for their future. Am I saying that we should avoid money and material things? No. We are to use even the perishable material treasures to store up imperishable eternal treasures in heaven. When you obey Christ and seek the Father's blessing, you lay up treasures in heaven. When you deal with your money and your, fra uh, and your fragile material possessions, there is good news. What is the good news? It means you can transform the fragile, decaying treasures into heavenly treasures by using it for the sake of God's kingdom and people. There's a lot of things in this life we just don't need. But because we're trying to be satisfied deep within our heart, and it's a whole lot easier to buy a Snickers or drink a milkshake or eat a whole large pizza sometimes than it is to spend two hours in prayer. Amen? Sometimes it's easier and, and um, it's, so, it's so unique. You're like, I want to buy a new car. So then you get really excited and you buy a new car and you have this new car and you're like, man, I'm so happy. And then you spill your coffee and you're like, oh, my new car. And the gas isn't as good. And someone dinged my door. And now the very thing that you thought was going to bring you happiness, you're now complaining about. And has now become the burden. So be generous with your money in the name of Jesus Christ so that you will not become its slave. God and people are eternal. So persistently use um, earthly treasures to serve God and your neighbor. Amen? Wrapping up. Alistair Begg, a pastor from Scotland, tells this story. Or he told this story. A little boy swimming in a river, flailing his arms and splattering the water. On the shore, immediately in front of um, the little boy, is a sign, no swimming. A man walks up, looks into the river, and says, um, Hey, laddie, do you not understand how to read the sign? No swimming? The boy said, Please, sir, I'm not swimming. I'm drowning. Sometimes swimming and drowning, or drowning look alike. I think there are some people in the church we think are swimming when they are actually drowning. You need to examine your heart. What is your attitude towards luxury, wealth, and money? May God help us to put these things into practice. Are we swimming today or are we drowning? We can put on a facade of who we are or what we're doing. But are we swimming or are we drowning? So, what are we to do instead of avoiding um, contact? So, yeah, what are we supposed to do? Just avoid um, contact with material things? 
It's not the case. We're supposed to use those things in honor of God. You can't avoid uh, making money, but you can use the money you make. You can't avoid some of the blessings that you receive, but you can use the blessings you receive to help others. Storing up treasures in heaven is very straightforward. How do you do it? Just do what Jesus has been teaching in this whole sermon. The meek will inherit the earth, so pursue Christ-like meekness. The persecuted are blessed, so embrace hard seasons. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are peacemakers, those who are willing to give and not put their treasures here on earth, but in heaven. So what do I mean? When you obey Christ and seek the Father's blessing, you lay up treasures in heaven. So when you approach your money and your perishable things, um, think about your heavenly reward, not your earthly reward. So today I'll leave you with a challenge. Here's the challenge. You can write them down if you want. Look at your bank statements and see how God is using your bank account to make disciples, to further his kingdom, and store up heavenly treasures. Number two, figure out what things your eyes focus on the most. Write down three things that your eyes focus on the most this week. It doesn't have to be material things, any three things. What three things do you focus on the most throughout the week? So how do you use your time, your money, your thoughts? And then ask God to help you prioritize treasures in heaven. So I'll leave you one more time with this poem. 20,000 for my brand new car, 60,000 for a piece of sod. 100,000 I paid to begin a house. $10 I gave to God. A tidy sum to entertain my friends in pointless chatter. And when the world goes crazy mad, I ask Lord, the Lord, what's the matter? $10 I gave to God. Yet there is one big question for the answer I still search. With the things so bad in this old world, what's holding back my church? Father, today, um, recognize that there can be tendencies for me to focus on my security with my treasures uh, being here in um, earth and not eternity. Ask that you would provide me practical steps, um, clear opportunities to invest into your kingdom with my time, with my thoughts, with my resources. Help us, Father, um, let go of our earthly treasures. In Jesus' name, amen.